0: Lord, don't, don't talk. You will never be the same. And for the full catastrophe, he didn't mean it was all bad.
1: Oh that I was a of
2: saying. Don't play with
0: I invite you to the dance. To the dance with the Lord of
1: the Dance.
2: I didn't call America to do what she's doing
1: in the world now. Please dance. Hello everybody and welcome to today's episode of Remote Pastoral Care. Uh, As usual, I'm Pastor Don and as you may have noticed, some things are a little bit different for today's episode. For starters, I've got my hair down and my glasses on, which may tell you that I am recording at night. We normally record these in the morning, but today we're recording at night because I am joined by two completely different guests from our usual. uh, And that's because we are joined by guests who are actually in Japan. This is the first episode we've done that has nobody in the United States on the call. So this is gonna be definitely a sort of a fun and different experience. So I'm gonna give my uh, my dear friends here a chance to introduce
2: themselves. Uh, Travis, you wanna go first? Absolutely. Good evening or good morning, whichever you are. Uh, my name is Travis. I live now in Tokyo. I've been stuck in Japan one way or another for about 12 years running. And it's really weird for me to say that. Um, Yeah, that's about it. Oh, don't make yourself sound so boring, come on. Well, you know, I wanna get into all of the details. We'll be here all night. Fair enough. Dom, you wanna tell us about you?
0: Okay, so just like Travis, I'm I'm Dom. I've been in Japan for for like five years now. I've been living in Kobe all throughout. And I've been able, uh, my goal, as of the moment is to visit all of those like they said like three magnificent places here in japan i've, I've been to two already and i've been looking forward to visiting Miyakojiro. Yep. Nice to
1: see
0: awesome. you guys
1: that sounds like a lot of fun i haven't gotten to do as much traveling around as i would like although i will say if everything goes to plan i'm looking at finally getting to see okinawa
2: that is fun
1: yeah
2: i've yeah. been to okinawa exactly once and I got to tell you, driving around Okinawa with friends is quite the experience. It's just completely different from the rest of Japan.
1: Uh, I'm looking forward to it on the grounds of I'm one of those poor Americans who has never been to Hawaii, so I will get to visit Japan's Hawaii
2: before I visited America's Hawaii. You can get AW w root beer at an actual restaurant. Hey, that's got my attention. I'm a big fan of root beer. No, 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 it's an actual A&W restaurant.
1: Yeah, I know, as you say. Although I miss, uh, you, ever, you ever hear at Dog and
2: Suds? Oh, that was some good stuff. Oh, that, that's a real Midwestern root beer for you there. Yeah, I used to get that in Fitz's from St. Louis back when I was living in the U.S.
1: Okay. And I can guess that at least half of this call gets what that is. And I'm guessing about half of our listeners' tops get what Dog and Suds is too. And that's actually a good point to pivot into what we're talking about is internationality of stuff. Like we're talking about a really localized brand of rugby here that only works in a couple of States in the U S and wouldn't you know it that, you know, just about everything changes from place to place too, including as we're talking about today, Christianity. So the experience, you know, we tend to think of, of the, of the faith as being this kind of universal sort of thing that is all the same, no matter where you go and how you go, but that just isn't the case. I'm sure we'll touch on some of the history and stuff of it a bit too, in, you know, in turn, but What I wanted to start with is, you know, you guys tell me a little bit about your experiences with with Christianity and how that's been for you. I know, Travis, much like me, you started in general Midwest America and moved out this way. Dom, I know your background is much different than that. So I figure between the three of us, we can probably share some interesting stories.
2: Absolutely. Dom, you want to go first on this one?
0: Um, uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so actually, I grew up in, uh, in a quote unquote religious family. So in the Philippines, basically around, I would say 80 70 to 80% of Filipinos are actually Catholic. So I grew up as a Catholic from I always brought brought up by my grandparents who are devout Catholics. So I grew up kind of close to being like a Christian until I, I came here to Japan when I was 20 I think I was five years ago and that's when I started getting to know more about uh, Christianity and that's when I got. uh that's when I accepted the Lord, as you know my savior and that's when I started getting into like the deep dives of the Christianity I've, whenever i've had like questions about like weird things in the Bible, I always go to Pastor Don, and he gives me such wonderful explanations with that, yeah, so that's basically, uh, my Christian life is still a baby, I'm still like five years in, and uh, yeah, in a nutshell, that's basically my story here.
1: Well, I always say there's there's no reason, I've met a lot of baby Christians that are always like, oh, I'm just a baby Christian, you shouldn't take everything I have too seriously, I always tell them, don't think that way, because the uh, the, the very first time I met a new adult convert to Christianity, uh, she'd only been a Christian for maybe six months or a year, something like that, not very long. Um, and now, this was years ago, now uh, she is currently a pastor and my wife. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, ne- never sell yourself short, man. You never know what God's got in store for you. and yeah you know what about you travis what what was the direction that you you've taken ah
2: gosh well i mean i grew up in a, a i guess we would call it a lutheran household my mom was lutheran my father was uh raised catholic he went to catholic school and then basically decided he had enough of that um so we went to church well my mom and the kids we went to church basically not quite every sunday but most sundays my mom was heavily involved in planning funerals and things at the church there and the metaphor that i always come back to when talking about my religious upbringing is that it wasn't so much like how some people especially uh, quote unquote baby christians or christians who come to things later um, they experience their faith more as a a sudden transition right they get to go through that and for me it was more like just being in a state of saturation where it's just around you all the time and it's a natural part of things and you don't necessarily question it or you don't necessarily you know look at it with that perspective to say hey this might be a little unusual and so then when i went to from that upbringing to hope college which was rca they had a lot of different opinions on things and i started to say well wait a minute you know is this really like Is this really what I believe? Do I want to associate myself with this? And of course, this was around the time that at college, there were a lot of big conflicts around um, recognition of LGBTQ Mm -hmm. individuals. Um, I actually have somewhere back in the US, a picture of the school newspaper with a crowd of protesters about, you know, why doesn't the college recognize the LGBTQ student union? And you can see my giant Afro hair in the, in the background of the shot.
1: Yeah. You do not look
2: too good at sticking out of a crowd that way. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, I'm five foot seven and Brown and curly in a land full of six foot tall blonde people in Holland. Come on. True. True. Not much to do about that. Um, but anyway, after that, I came over to Japan and was stationed on the jet program out in the middle of nowhere in Yogoken for two years. And suddenly, that isolation being out in the wilderness like that, it's like, where did all the water that I used to be swimming in go? Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a few very interesting experiences, one of which um, there was a checkout lady at the supermarket that I used to go to to buy my bento every day. And she just at one point after I'd been going there for like a year or so she pops up and asks me, Hey, are you Christian? I'm like, well, yes, most Americans are Christian. she's like, why didn't you tell me sooner? And she invites me to her church. And so I got to go to a little rural Japanese church a few times. And that was actually really interesting. I didn't have the Japanese to understand more than about 60% of it at the time, but it was a really cool experience to see people who were passionate about god and living a christian life in this often unchristian country especially out in a little town with population fifteen thousand,
1: mm.
2: and after i think it was probably around the same time as that experience i started uh, getting invited by some friends who lived in kobe to go to kobe union church and things just started you know snowballing from there if you will and I just kind of fell right back into like being Christian again after spending all that time in the wilderness just trying to figure out what does it mean if I don't have the water around me
1: yeah that's a good context to start looking at this stuff too is you know how much of our faith is personal and how much of it is communal that way you know the water in which you swim in what do we get from ourselves what do we get from our own walk and what do we get from the people around us right? Um, I can speak I'll speak a little bit I haven't done this on the, on this uh, this uh, show very much but I suppose I can tell a little bit of my story too for what it's worth
2: yeah
1: uh, um, I, I grew up much like much like Travis in the in the the Midwest what we call the the northern Bible belt uh this that whole area against michigan that was just saturated with protestant uh christianity particularly reformed protestant christianity now my parents my uh my father was a a dutch Reformed protestant my mother was an irish roman catholic uh and you know in terms of of christian pairings that's one of the weirder ones (laughs) um but my mom went full in for the reformed life when we moved up into michigan and we started going to a reformed church, and I have to admit, I've never been the greatest when it comes to getting along with people who espouse positions that I don't necessarily agree with. Uh, I've gotten better over the years, uh, I like to think, but when I see someone getting up and taking a position that involves hurting or humiliating or upsetting other people for no damn good reason, I tend to get very upset. Uh, And this carried with me through a lot of my early faith journeys because we were in, like I said, the Northern Bible Belt, which meant that it was a hotbed of conservative religion. So we had a lot of uh, pulpit messages that were about things like how the gays are going to burn in hell. We had a lot of pulpit messages about how video games are tools of the devils. We had a couple of specific pulpit messages that were entirely about how my sisters dressed uh, which I, I took issue with, because you know, humiliating my sisters in a public venue, that just did not seem to mesh with this good book I had been reading. Um, and in time, I made the decision to go to Hope College as well, uh, because I figured in my naivety that, all right, this, this can't be the, the way it is everywhere. Maybe if I go to an actual Christian college, it will be different. And uh, I, I can see mm-hmm. the look on your face already, Travis going like different, come on, man. Like
2: I, I remember the um, gosh, I forget exactly what it was, but there was a group of Catholic students on campus protesting the the Hope College services, and I remember some really weird stuff. And I think I only went to the chapel at Hope maybe twice, but it's interesting that that's so prevalent in Western Michigan because in like Detroit area where I grew up maybe it's just because it's Mm. a more culturally diverse part of the state Uh, Detroit's you know heavily multicultural compared to the rural parts in western Michigan so we never really had any of those um what I would call the chick tract or the bible thumping sort of sermons where all the gays are going to make everybody you know burning yeah. out or whatever it may be. It's much more the, look, everyone is human. We got to all get along and love one another. And that's that.
1: Yeah. I grew up swimming in those Chick track style sermons. And it was, it was a shock to me when I went to college and found out that that was that dialed up to 11 for a lot. Um, I had uh, my, my second roommate when I was in, in college turned out to be one of the, one of the unicorns of Hope College. He was a, uh, a, a, uh, a, he never quite defined his religion, but the biggest way to put it would be a Celtic-style pagan. Um, you, you talk about protests against the, the LGBT student union or protests between the Catholics and the Protestants. We had protests outside our dorm room. Oh, my. Yeah, it was an experience. And that was it was eye opening for me because by default, I, I wound up on the wrong side of that discriminatory bigoted kind of christian focus of attention and i went from a place where i couldn't understand it to a place where i was getting it thrown at me and i hadn't changed my beliefs i was i had been one of the youngest members ever to join as a full adult member to pass my uh what what you might call a catechism i you know i professed my faith in christ when i was still like what 10 11 something like that damn um, I, I was a youngin' on that. I knew I wanted to be a pastor around about the time I was in eighth grade. I, I job shadowed my pastor on a hospice visit and was geeked about it. That's how weird I was as a kid. I was like, I, 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 go, with, I go with my pastor on one visit, and then we go back to the office and flip through some texts, and I'm just sitting there like, where do I sign up? Um, and all the while now I'm here at college and I got these people just yelling at me. Uh, and I couldn't figure it out and I went for years not being able to figure that one out. Uh, I went as a missionary to Japan um, hmm. with the RCA, the Reformed Church, and my intent in doing so was like, look, if this is if this is the way that Christianity is here, I wanna see what it's like to spread a different kind of Christianity. I wanna go to Japan and I had talked with Japanese missionaries, a couple of Japanese pastors, and they have been always the ones who preach to me, look, none of this we don't need to pick a fight to show our faith uh and i tried to take that for and i ministered in japan for five years or so that i was out there mm-hmm. I think around right about uh, yeah, it
2: was probably, four or five years i think
1: uh, four or five something like that uh and then got called got the call to go back and, and do seminary and do the full pastor thing which I, quite frankly i never thought i was ever going to be able to do
2: no it's just something I want to touch on real quick, Don, because I remember something you said back when you first came over, because mm. um, I was quite shocked to find you here, mm-hmm. um, especially as a missionary. And I said, you know, Don, like missionary, really? This doesn't really seem like your cup of tea. And I remember very clearly what you said and that I'm not out here proselytizing. I'm out here leading by example. Yeah. That was more or
1: less it is. I have believed, you know, And I know this sounds weird from someone who really has a solid love of preaching, but I have always believed in action over preaching. I think for every word that comes out of your mouth, there should be another two actions coming out of your hands, so to speak. Which, as you can imagine, trying to live up to that keeps me terribly busy, (laughs) because I just don't shut up. (laughs) But I do do believe that's the theory we got to operate.
2: and, yeah. and so honestly, that was that response was one of the things that helped bring me sort of back into Christianity um, was that this isn't being a Christian isn't necessarily the talk, it's the walk, yeah. it's the bringing of water. And, you know, we're dancing around something
1: that is, I think, good and central to our focus on international Christianity. The effect of of the American Church on Christianity overseas, Uh, and we see that in a lot of very uniquely American theology, Uh, things that American Christians do that really nobody else, who isn't touched by the American strain of Christianity, does. One of the big ones is. This all-in on proselytizing and saving souls approach to to Christianity, this save everybody or everybody's gonna burn sort of mentality, Mm. very unique to American Christianity. And I don't know, that's that is when we talk about Christianity overseas, you can almost you can almost see the colonial imprints of America in which cultures are more strongly in that vein.
2: Well, let's, let's take this back Ben, because we do have Dom on the call, and he grew up in a completely different sort of setting from you and I, I mean, Dom, in the Philippines, I mean, what, if any, sort of experiences did you have, or did you see with people trying to convert non-Christians? I mean, I understand it's, you know, a majority Catholic culture, but was there any sort of pressure on other people to conform or to convert
0: actually that's interesting because i've been talking to a lot of uh christians in the philippines as of the moment and there's this kind of like what pastor don mentioned it's they're going all in on that like saving souls and and stuff like that so i've heard actually from from this uh from these people that like especially the youth because we've been we've been i've been talking to a lot of uh uh like around my age range mm-hmm. in the philippines and they, they have this some kind of a mission that like after Sundays, after their worship services what they need to do is it's actually like more of a goal or a target that they need to reach out and share the word to at least two people after their service so that's that's kind of a goal or that's kind of a target that they need to achieve and then they're going to talk about it the week afterwards so yeah i found it i found it oh that's, that's, that's weird, but also maybe if it works, like if it works, then what? If it's not broken, why fix it? So I've always, I've always, I've always looked at it in a, in a weird kind of way that, oh, I've always thought that Christianity are like being able to like find Jesus is always been, it's always been a smooth transition. It's always been something that it just comes to you. It's not something that is forced or something that is like, being like, oh, it, here it is. Like, accept mm-hmm. this.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll contribute to that a little bit. I I had a very similar perspective on evangelism um, in years back. I, I kind of viewed it to, to give an analogy to similar to what you were saying. I viewed evangelism as not unlike a Rubik's cube. You know, you ever try to solve a Rubik's cube? You ever succeed? Yep. <laughs> You're a hell of a lot better than I am. (laughs) I have never managed to figure that out. That might just be because I've got that torn up right hand and terrible manual dexterity there, or it could just be because I am, for all the things I may be good at, terrible at that level of spatial reasoning. I don't know. Uh, But the way I've always understood it, you can solve a Rubik's Cube by figuring out, getting the dimensions right, lining up all the sides and solving it that way. Or you can do what I did the first time I was handed a Rubik's cube and carefully rip off all the stickers and put them on the right sides. Um, and in the end, does it matter because you solved the Rubik's cube either way? Um, you have reached the solution. What does it matter? And, you know, the ends justify the means, so to speak. <laughs> but then again, I pause and I'm like, wait a minute. I've heard that argument for a lot of things before. And I wrestled with that for a little bit. And then I came to Japan. And I encountered um, something that I hadn't seen before, which is an entire society where people will very often say one thing and do something entirely different. And so I got to talking with uh, the the proselytizers that I was uh, well connected with, the people who really took that that quota approach to, to saving souls and they were, so, the ones I met in Japan, they were so flummoxed by their experiences in Japan. Because they'd be like, for my first like six weeks here, man, I was doing gold. Every person I talked to said they wanted to accept Jesus. Everybody I asked just gave me an unequivocal yes. I never got a no. But then they never came to church the next day. And then I could never find them again. And and they couldn't figure it out. Like they stopped returning my calls and nothing. And then I started to realize like, well, it's, you got the answer, but you didn't communicate any of what was important. Like you went into it looking for a transactional response. I mean, you you got your transaction, but you got what you wanted and gave them nothing. And that, is where I think that kind of evangelism falls flat because it's all about, I need to save ex-souls for me to assuage my guilt or to get me into heaven or do what I feel I'm supposed to do. It's, it's a self-centered sort of outreach uh, in a lot of cases. And in that way, it's uniquely American If there's anything we Americans do good, it's, a, it's exporting selfish ways of thinking. <laughs>
2: I just, as you were talking about and used the word quotas, I had this image of conversion as a multi-level marketing scheme. (laughs) Like here's John, he's converted 250 new souls this week and he gets a new car. As a quick star of Bethlehem? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, you know.
2: And you guys can disagree with me. Gosh, I
0: broke down. <laughs> so that was really funny. Like the MLM metaphor, it's always fun. Like when I first, no, yeah. when I got first converted as a Christian, it's like I've always thought of it like, oh yeah, it actually is kind of a multi-level marketing like approach. I mean, you, uh, you share some, you share Jesus to somebody, and that someone's gonna share it to two other people, and that two other people is gonna share that to two other people, and all of those stuff. It becomes, oh yeah, because you need to follow up as well, being a multi-level marketer, you need to, like, like Pastor Don said, you got the transaction, but for it to be successful, that transaction needs to be able to be fruitful as well. It just doesn't stop for them buying into the system. It's It all it, it becomes successful, when those people who bought into the system is being more, uh, is being consistent with having people buy into the system as well, and that's I found it really funny, and that's ingenious, actually.
2: I feel like this is probably a very damaging metaphor for us to be using, though. (laughs) Um, You should probably switch back to water.
1: (laughs) Well, you're right. The multi-level marketing is a terrible analogy for what we want to do. Right. But it's not a bad analogy for what a lot of us do. And I think that is something to be aware of. It's a terrible analogy for what we want to do, but it's dead on for what a lot of us are actually doing. And we see this in a lot of things, but I think evangelism is one of those places where we see it the strongest. Is this, I said earlier, transactional mindset. This idea that our faith interaction is about do X and receive Y. Um, and then that associates very easily with like prosperity gospel stuff of asking and, and you will receive, pray and you'll get what you want type stuff, uh, which does not, now, I mean, none of this tracks with the Bible, obviously, but it also is, it has very little to do with nurturing a person, let alone a function of faith.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is, and I'm going to run back to my water analogy because I feel like it's a little bit healthier. Um, it's taking people who maybe have had a little bit of water here and there in their lives but drink a lot of soda, and giving them a bottle of water and say, here, drink this. And maybe they drink it and maybe they don't. As opposed to convincing them, like, you know, this is water, this is better for you. Feel how much better you feel after you drink this compared to all of the soda and the other sugary unhealthy like instant hit of satisfaction and then five minutes later you're feeling thirsty still Mm -hmm. things that you have been drinking that you have been allowing into your spirit
1: yeah this is something i think you touch on something really important that instant hit of satisfaction and when we talk with things as deep as faith man it is easy to find those one or two things that give us that that momentary hit of divine satisfaction that oh man I feel spirit type moments those are and I say this not just as a pastor but with the confidence of a pastor with a background in musical theater and stagecraft um, they're really easy to manufacture those moments in a worship set, and I know that is the most cynically depressing thing to ever hear but it's true like most of your your mega church, your your evangelical pastors, what they're using when they get these come to Jesus moments is they're using a combination of, uh, you know, a couple of verses that really resonate in their own isolated sense out of context, combined with some really wicked stage design and, you know, the stage craft of timing out a worship service, they're building an emotion. And I am immediately, and, and again, I, I fully acknowledge that this is spiritually very cynical. But I am immediately suspicious when we hear about these faith experiences that are all built on these moments that I felt something. And there's nothing more to it than that. I mean, these moments of feeling definitely have a good starting point, but there are, I think, I guess what I'm trying to put is we've we've run into a lot of faith environments that have become the spiritual equivalent of mcdonald's they're selling us only those moments of uh of apostasy those moments of sudden faith explosion but they're not selling us anything of substance beyond that did i beat the multi-level marketing analogy
2: yeah (laughs) with the words faith explosion
1: definitely killing it with the metaphors right now i love it (laughs)
2: Faith explosion. I, I I feel like that's a perfect product name.
1: Either that or a prog rock piece. One or the other.
2: Either way, but uh, no, the the metaphor fits. I mean, if this is drive through McDonald's, and what I what I tend to find is that that can be good and healthy and necessary in some cases. You need those moments to hook people a little bit, mm. or to. Um, Catch their attention. There needs to be a little bit of flash. That's why Jesus performed miracles. It was to get people's attention, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the water is mean, a big
1: component of it, certainly.
2: Right. It's like, hey, you know, I'm not kidding around when I say Son of God. Here, water into wine.
1: Right. Well, by the way, can we take a minute and acknowledge just how awesome it is that that's what Jesus's first miracle was? He didn't raise the dead. He didn't heal anybody. He went to a party, and when the party was getting run dry, he's like, "Nah, nah, nah, I got this."
2: No, yeah, we, we continue. So, yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, we're we find our faith the the faith that lasts, not in those moments of quote unquote divine ecstasy or a faith explosion, but in those moments of silence where Nothing is happening and you still feel God.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, people have always found me weird for well, for a lot of reasons, but um, in, in, the, in the faith itself, people often find me weird when they ask, what is your favorite worship service to prepare? And, you know, you ask any pastor that question, they're gonna be like, oh man, it's all about Easter or it's all about Christmas Eve or, you know, Christmas day, if we do that. You know what my favorite service is to prepare? What is? Good Friday. Nobody, half the churches I've encountered don't even do a Good Friday service anymore. It's always Easter. It's always Easter. But that is, to me, it's emblematic of how many of us have come to explore our faith, that we want a shortcut straight through to Easter, but we want to skip Golgotha in the process. But part of what we do, a lot of what we do in our lives, lives either on Good Friday or Holy Saturday. So much of what we do and where we're at is either in that place of death or in that place of unknowing, of waiting, of expectation. Those Easter moments are so God-awfully rare. Those Advent moments, like they never come. You don't get your Constantine moment of conquer by this in in the sky. It's it's not a thing that happens to everybody and is even questionable whether it actually happened to Constantine or not. Um so but if we look at moments like, like Good Friday, those are the moments where we get to come face to face with who God is and what God actually does, actually does. Not the big the big faith explosion stuff, not the, the, the McDonald's moment. But those day to day momentary interactions, those, those moments where we're in grief, where we're in suffering, where we're like, Amen. what in the hell am I going to do with this? And, you know, like, we think to look for God in our moments of victories. I just talked about this in the in the Psalms from the Trails not too long ago. Um, you know, w- once we get to our moment of victory, we're like, yes, no, I couldn't be back at that of this in victory uh, I can give to you in my great disposition all of the kindness that is due from someone who is a Christian, but like when we're suffering. We're so quick to say, oh, screw you, buddy, I'm busy. But we if we spend our moments and y'all got me preaching here again, and I apologize. No, 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 no. It's, I, it's I, pretty I, easy. I,
0: that was nice. Yeah.
1: Uh, speaking of Psalms from the trails, there's this one one. Uh,
0: Certain message that stuck to me ever since you said that. It's like when David was complaining to God, it's like, and then at the end of the psalm, he was like after, like almost every psalm is like that. He's gonna complain. And then at the end of it, he's gonna realize that, oh, my God is amazing. And there's this, this, there's this one sentence that he said, like uh, out of one of those episodes. It, it says that there's gonna be points in our lives where it's gonna be low. There's gonna be sometimes that it's gonna be high. But the most wonderful thing is that there's always gonna be that constant. God mm-hmm. is always going to be in our constant. And that's something that re- really resonated with me because the first, our, my first like teacher, when I started uh, going into Christianity, like she told me that actually Sunday, you shouldn't look as like, at as, a, a Sunday service that grand because what's important it's, mm-hmm. is the Mondays through Saturdays. You need to be building your relationship with God from Mondays through Saturdays. And then you celebrate, with the body of believers in sun at Sundays, you can't just be a christian on sundays you need to be christian 24 7 and that just like boom
1: yeah yeah i'm reminded of an of an exchange between a, a pastor i knew once and a congregant this is back when i was an intern uh and then the congregant came up to the pastor and he said man i'm so glad for the sunday worship services man these are these are the bread and butter these are the, the meat and potatoes of my week and the pastor just kind of stopped him and he just looked at him and he said no, no. The, the, the worship service is your, your dollop of ice cream. It's, your, it's your, your little piece of candy. The meat and potatoes is you through the rest of the week. That's, that's where the meat and potatoes of the faith is. This is the exact same sort of thing you were talking about. But, you know, in all of that, I'm, I'm also reminded because uh, I get reminded of things very easily. Uh, we we talk about all this stuff and you know, we've got our ups and our downs, but what we often forget to acknowledge is the, the divinity as present in the downs specifically. And not just, you know, when we think of ups and downs, there's this tendency we have to say, oh, the downs are those points where like oh Lord, I reach out to you because I know you're compassionate and I love you, God, I love you, God, but I'm just so sad. Those aren't the downs. Those are like the middles. The downs are the points where we're like, you know, God, you and I, I have notes. All right. I, I have things that need to be said and they need to be said loudly at length and using profanity from as many languages as I have available. Um, it's, it's what I call the Job moment. You, you guys read through the book of Job anytime recently? Now I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quote chapter and verse because despite being a pastor, I'm absurdly terrible at that. Um, but there's one point in in the in the the book, and I forget exactly where, where job is being pushed by his friends and he says something along the lines of, you know, I'm not going to say a word against God. My faith is so strong, I'm just not gonna say anything bad about God. And when you look at that verse in isolation, you're like, yeah, that's the Jobite. What you don't look at is like the three chapters after where he does nothing but complain about God. Like that, the next words out of his mouth, are like, you know what, dude? Let me tell you something. And those are those moments, those uh, impressive times where God is still present. Like God doesn't run away in those moments. God doesn't say, you know what, you say, screw, screw you, screw me, buddy, screw you, buddy, I'm out. You know That's not how God works. And you you look for something divine, that's it, you know, to, to me. Yeah, preaching again, God, terrible. I'm worse at this at night than I am in the morning. In the mornings, I can at least sip my coffee and let other people speak. But man, I'm getting off on it tonight. You guys say things. Of
2: course problem being you hit a pretty good point. I mean, if faith and where we find those moments of divinity is not on those highs, but in the lows and the even lower parts of the cup, it's again, collecting water in the basins of life, right, and experiencing the fact that even when we are just flat out mad at God for whatever is going on in our lives and why could you let this happen what am I supposed to do with this God's just like yep let me know when you're done I'll be here
1: Oh, hmm. yeah. well I know I've run into that a few times in my life Have you guys run into that one yeah. trying very hard not to preach on my own here
2: <laughs> we've had uh quite a few of those moments over the years. Um, Actually, one that happened shortly after I came to Japan. Um, I'll try to skip the gruesome details, but basically uh, rumors got spread. And in our tiny little foreigner community in Western Kyoko, I wound up being persona non grata. And so I didn't get invited to any of the foreigner gatherings or out to dinner or lunch with anybody for probably a good six months and that isolation especially back in the days when internet wasn't really that great out in the sticks and skype wasn't necessarily so big of a thing that kind of sucked and then suddenly there's this random lady at the cash register saying hey are you a christian i'm like oh yeah Suppose I am at that. Suddenly, everything starts to slowly climb back up the hill.
1: Yeah, those are the moments where God appears, man. Never, never those big moments. It's those little moments when you most need it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've had actually that moment. That was my turning point when I became a Christian, actually. So uh, I'm half Japanese but i grew up in the philippines most of my life basically my whole my whole life i was in the philippines i've all of my plans have been like set for me like you know when you're in 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 college or you're in high school oh it's 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 it's, my peak is about to come right now and i can see what i want i mean basically it's it's up for grabs for me and then oh god was like oh no you're gonna go to japan because apparently uh, yeah, because I, I had two passports back then and then the Japanese government was like, nope, you're not allowed to have that and then stuff and stuff. So uh, my, my parents decided to bring me back here and then try some stuff out for a year. And then that year was very difficult for me. That's when I felt like borderline depressed. That's when I was like, definitely definitely uh broken i would say because i moved to japan at an at that time i was a fresh grad i didn't know japanese i was severely obese and so it was very tough for me adjusting because first i didn't know the language and then i didn't know anyone i didn't know anyone and uh it was in the middle of the year around september where like basically all of my all of my friends from university back in the philippines it's it's either they're looking that they got their job so and then this is the height of Facebook where everyone's just posting their victories online so everyone's it's either they're they're getting jobs that they're dreaming of that, that both of like most of us planned and applied at the same time or or they're getting into law school which is which was my dream before so it was very tough for me and then I'm, I'm just staying at the couch of my parents house being like a freeloader and stuff and it was it was yeah And then I tried applying as much as I can here in Japan, but no one's accepting because it's September. Everyone's like fully packed already. So it was on top of that, my, on top of that, back in the Philippines, my uncle died. And it was just like on top of everything. And it was very hard. And then, like, like, like
1: that light at the end of the tunnel for you. you Travis with that old Filipino friend
0: that we met randomly at the grocery store that, Oh, why don't you come to KUC, Kobe union church. And then just started from there and yeah, it started building back up and yeah, the rest is history is what they say.
2: Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. And that's something that I think, um, maybe you encounter more in people overseas and hey here we go tie it back to the international right Mm. Um, to people who don't necessarily grow up um, died in the wool as it were but for people who i guess come to or come back to christ Mm. um, at a certain later stage in their lives is that we all wind up broken at some point and having the the courage to accept god in those moments when you're broken because that's when god can be standing there with that bottle of water saying hey i got this come on let's go yeah well put right
1: and i think i think there's a there's a bigger conversation that's going to roll from here, which indicates to me that this is the perfect time to break for, for part two. So we'll we'll roll this, this conversation over into our second part here. Um, for now, uh, I want to take a second. I want to thank anyone who's watched to the end of this video so far. and I want to tell you to stay tuned for part two, which is going to air next week, which will still be featuring these same two gentlemen. And I know a week seems like a long time, but I promise for the three of us, it'll be like 15 seconds. So don't have to worry about us; we'll be fine. Uh, in the meantime, if you haven't uh, yet checked out any of our, our other videos, you can find them on our YouTube channel. You can find them here on the Facebook stream, um, and you can also check out our podcast channel, which carries remote pastoral care, a lot of our sermon recordings, and other things as well that that come out. All the information on these you can find at our website which the link for that is in the description Uh, guys you have anywhere, people can find you online, if you want to make that stuff public at all.
2: I am as anonymous as it is possible to be in this day and age, but if you want to talk to me, you can find me on the discord. Yeah, the Discord
1: server is the place to go for, for us. That's where we're having most of these conversations anyway. I know it's a little retro with the whole text threads and stuff like that, but it's a good way to keep a conversation going. Link to that also on the website. Hey, website's great for like having links to stuff. I love it. Uh, in the meantime, for those of you who are still watching, thanks for sticking around. Uh, have a great week and we'll see you next week. Take care.